Shorter Catechism, question number 98 in your bulletin, our affirmation of faith, uh, provides a good uh, nuanced definition of prayer that we'll return to later in the sermon. So I ask you, brothers and sisters, what is prayer? Prayer is an offering up of our desires unto God for things agreeable to his will in the name of Christ with confession of our sins and thankful acknowledgement of his mercies. Today we're going to be talking about prayer for the sick and prayer, the, the anointing of the sick with oil and accompanying prayer. James 5, verses 13 through 18. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Well, let them sing songs of, of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed any sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Clayton Jones is a professor of theology at Biola University in Southern California. He grew up in a large and ultra-charismatic church where they had a, um, a very big healing ministry. He says, in my late teens, I embraced and taught that it was always God's will to heal a person. It's always God's will. I embrace confession healing, which amounts to telling someone after prayer for healing that they should, should not doubt that they were healed, but should confess their healing, even if they had symptoms still of the illness. For example, if we prayed for you to get over the flu, but you had a, still had a temperature of 102 degrees, Fever or no fever, you have been healed. You have been healed, and and that symptom is to be ignored. We held that God always, and I, I mean always, always wanted to heal those who asked. Christians should never, ever confess anything other than the words to the effect of, I know that God is going to heal me. I know that he's going to heal me. Otherwise, it's an, it's an example of a lack of faith. And then you might not be healed because You're not asking in faith. If you have a terminal illness, it's especially important that you uh, not show any doubt whatsoever because then you would lose your chance at healing because you doubted. Well, there was a youth minister in that same church. He and his wife had several children. She was diagnosed with stage four cancer. It was all throughout her body. Some people in the church prophesied that she would be healed. Other young mothers came alongside her and assured her that there is no, no way, no, absolutely no way that God is not going to heal you. No matter how badly the cancer metastasizes in your body, God is going to heal you. And they, they all but demanded that she believe God was going to heal her. And they all prayed for this. She believed, they prayed, and what do you think happened? Yeah, she died. Are you surprised by that story? It's terrible, but I don't think it surprises any of us. Um, 
There's a large group of Christians in the world today who, who believe that very thing, that you will be healed if you have enough faith. You know, don't mistake me. I mean, this is a passage on prayers for healing. Does God heal today? Absolutely. Absolutely. There's nothing in the Bible that would indicate that God has somehow given up his ministry of healing. And after, after all, isn't there a whole lot of healing in the Bible? I mean, the Gospels, there's 30 recorded instances of healing by Jesus Christ. Healing is a very big deal as far as the Bible is concerned. Yes, he does heal. And sometimes he does it in dramatic and miraculous ways. I've heard plenty of those stories of healing, especially from the missions field, from reputable sources. I, it would be wrong for us to dismiss all of the stories of miraculous healing that I'm sure you've heard of as well, right? Here's a crazy statistic I read this week. Somewhere between 80 and 90% of all first-generation converts to Christianity from Latin America, Asia, or Africa, 80 to 90% of those would say, would attribute their conversion largely to having received divine healing for themselves or for a family member. So there's a, a, a huge portion of the Christian world today who fervently believes in miraculous healing and would go so far as to say that those things happen regularly. That's a regular part of their Christian experience, which I dare say is a little different than ours. <laughs> I mean, do we, when was the last time you saw a miraculous healing? It, it, yeah. So does God heal in answer to prayer? Of course he does. But if you know somebody that is ill, especially somebody who is ill with a terminal illness, don't tell them that you know that God wants to heal them because you don't. You don't. You don't know that. Some people mistakenly believe that the prayer of faith, because that's what James calls it in verse 15, the prayer of faith is a prayer of absolute certainty that God is going to heal me. It's almost like the, the little engine that could. You know, I know God will heal me. I know God will heal me. I know God will heal me. And what we're supposed to do is just scrunch up all of our certainty and dismiss all doubts from our minds and and. And we can say to each other, I know God is going to heal you. No, you can't. No, you don't. The only healing that we can be absolutely certain of is the healing that will come at the end of the age, the healing that will come with resurrection. Beyond that, all we can do is humbly make our requests known to God. So I think the first thing I want to say to you is that all prayers for healing need to be understood within the context of a father-child relationship. Because that's what we got. God has said that I am your heavenly father who loves you. And you are my beloved sons and daughters. And so you don't have to kind of try and say the words just the right way. Or find the code that unlocks the combo lock in heaven. Which opens up the treasure of healing. And you don't have to go into command mode and claim it in the name of Jesus that, that this person, you know, binding the demon of illness, or et cetera, et cetera. If we have a father who loves us, you can just ask. When you ask, two things will happen. Either your father will give you the healing that you asked for, or he won't. 
That's exactly how most father-child relationships work, isn't it? Our our fathers, we trust that they know best. (laughs) And and he'll either give us what we ask for or he won't. Um, Sometimes a loving earthly father grants our requests. Many times he doesn't. And the younger you are, the less you understand why he does or he doesn't. Isn't that true? I mean, the younger you are, the less you understand your father's reasons. But he does have his reasons. Do any of you read the comic strip, Pearls Before Swine? (laughs) So in one of the strips, the two main characters, Rat and Goat, are sitting at a table drinking coffee together. Goat tells Rat, have you seen this one, Kenny? Yeah. Yeah, so Goat tells Rat that one of their friends, Fred, died at the age of 42. And Rat asks him, asks Goat, well, was he super fat? And Goat says no. Well, was he a heavy smoker or, or had a family history? No. With each of the succeeding questions, Rat is becoming increasingly agitated. Did he have heart disease? Or did he use drugs? Or did he drive recklessly? No, Fred didn't do any of those things. Finally, in the second to last bubble, Rat's eyes are bulging. And he says, it can't be nothing. There's got to be a reason. Because nothing could happen to me. That would mean that I could die too at any time. Give me something about Fred that made him different than me. And Goat replies, well, Fred did collect stamps. (laughs) And Rat says, I knew it. High-risk hobby. He was doomed. (laughs) To make a serious point, some Christians believe that when uh, another person suffers terribly or dies early, suddenly, they, they want to find a reason to point to. They didn't have enough faith, or it was a result of their sin, or they just want a reason. Maybe they want a reason even to protect themselves uh, so that this won't happen to me. But sometimes, friends, the reason is simply because it was God's will. Remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus prayed. He said, Father, if, it is, if it's your will, take, take this cup. Let this cup pass from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Remember, when Jesus asked for the cup of suffering and death to leave him, he did not get an uncategorical yes, did he? And here's a man who who prayed perfectly. He prayed the perfect prayer. His faith was perfect. His motives were perfect. He asked perfectly, and yet he was still required to drink the bitter cup of suffering and death. Because that was God's will. So you go back to the catechism question. Where is it? It says that prayer is an offering up of our desires unto God for things agreeable to his will. But, But how do we know what those things are? How do you know what things are agreeable to God's will? And the answer to that question is you don't always know. You pray for things that you desire and things that you you can best envision will be God's will and God's will be done through them. But you always pray open-mindedly and open-handedly recognizing that I just don't know, Father. I don't know if this is your will. Maybe you, maybe you have something better for me 
than healing. Amy Carmichael, the famous missionary to India. So Amy Carmichael ended up saving a lot of girls out of sex slavery. She started at least one and maybe two orphanages. She was in India for, 40, for 55 years and never took furlough. 55 years and never took a day of furlough. Well, when Amy Carmichael was a little girl, she was so enamored with her mother's blue eyes that she prayed God would, would change her brown eyes to blue. <laughs> and it was only later in life she realized what an asset those brown eyes and brown hair were because, because she, when she dressed up in traditional Indian garb, was able to go into the temples, into the places that a blue-eyed, blue-eyed foreigner would never, ever be allowed to go. And it was only because she had brown hair and, and brown eyes that she was able to rescue kids from sex slavery. You see, sometimes, and I know you know this, but it's just good to remind ourselves this. Sometimes our prayers are well-intentioned mistakes. We think a particular request is going to help us. But if God were to grant it, we would realize, and sometimes do realize, to our horror and grief that we had been wrong. And no, that wasn't, that wasn't the right thing. I admit it's hard to understand why he doesn't answer prayers for healing. It's one thing to ask that my blue eye, my brown eyes would turn blue. It's another thing to ask that my child would be healed of leukemia or my mother would be saved from ovarian cancer. Uh, why wouldn't God answer a prayer for healing in the affirmative? We want reasons. But fathers don't always explain. We know some reasons. Uh, we know It's attested all throughout the scriptures. I preach so many sermons on it that the way you really get to know God is through pain and suffering. We know that. And we know that it is through the crucible of pain and suffering that you grow in Christ's likeness. And we know that. And we know that sometimes he uses our suffering to reach other people. I've said this before uh, on prayers, on sermons for prayer. I'll say it again. Our deepest conviction has to be this. That either God will give us what we asked for, or God will give us what we would have asked for if we were as wise and loving and knew everything as comprehensively as he does. We have to believe that our Father, our Father is loving and knows best. And I, again, I recognize how hard that is to believe when you see a loved one, especially a child, suffering terribly. But if you believe, as I do, that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins, then that is the one man in the universe who deserves the benefit of the doubt. If you believe the Father gave his Son up for you, then even though you may not understand, the Father gets the benefit of the doubt. The last thing I want to say on this is, When Nebuchadnezzar threatened to send Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, throw them into the fiery furnace uh, because they weren't going to worship his image, they replied to King Nebuchadnezzar in this way. They said, O king, God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand. But if not, (laughs) but if he doesn't, be it known to you, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you've set up. And I think that's what we have to be determined to say long before we ever get sick. My God is able to heal me. 
He is able to deliver me or my child or my mother or whomever out of the clutches of this illness. But even if he doesn't, I will still trust him. I will praise him still. It's not a lack of faith to say, I don't know. I I don't know, Father, if it's your will to heal me. I just bring, we, we are to bring a humble request. Going back to the catechism question. A humble request in the name of Christ with confession of our sins and thankful acknowledgement of his mercies. And no matter what happens, we say, no matter what happens, I will praise you still. That's the prayer of faith. Second feature that I'd like to draw your attention to in the passage is found in verse 15. This touches on the confession of sin. You know, draw, James draws a connection here between a person's sickness and their sin. Did you notice that? Verse 15, it says, And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. What is the connection between sins and, and sickness here? Um, say a couple of things. First, there are only a few instances in the entire Bible that I can think of which make this connection. One of them is found in the Gospel of John chapter 5 when Jesus says to the invalid whom he heals, he says, he basically says, I mean, Jesus is not PC. He says a lot of things that are offensive. He says basically to the guy he just healed, he said, stop sinning or something worse will happen to you. That's what, read it, John 5, he says that. There was some kind of connection. The other classic instance is in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 when the, Christ, the, Christ, the Christians in the city of Corinth were making a complete abomination of the Lord's Supper. And it says that they got sick and some of them actually died as an act of God's discipline. Then the only other place in the New Testament I can think of where the connection is made is here in James chapter 5. What is this connection? Um, how can confessing one's sins actually lead to physical healing. And here's how. We've learned so much about the human body over the last two millennia. And we now know in a profound way the connection between our minds and our spirits and our our bodies, our physicality. We know how much emotional issues affect our body, don't we? Anger, does that affect your body? Guilt, anxiety, does that register in your body? We have these things, we call them psychosomatic illnesses. What is a psychosomatic illness? We say a psychosomatic illness, that's just something that you've you made up in your head. No, it's, that's not true. A psychosomatic illness is in your body. You have real headaches because you are really worried. <laughs> you have real ulcers because you are really fearful. You have high blood pressure Because you are really angry. It's not just in your head. It's in your lungs. And it's it's not an imaginary illness. As one author puts it, these are real illnesses that we experience as human beings. And many times they are caused by emotional and spiritual issues. When you think about it in those terms, then you start to see maybe how confessing one's sin can actually lead toward uh, physical healing. There may, there may be nothing better you can do to get, than to get right with God and get at peace with God when you're sick. That may actually affect your body. Now, I hope you know here at All Saints, 
Here's the passage. Where's the verse? Um, It says, verse 16, confess your sins to one another. That is not a requirement that we make of you. (laughs) Uh, You don't have to go around confessing your sins to the members, your fellow members of your community group, thankfully. Uh, And you don't have to confess your sins to me, your pastor, or to one of us as your elders. But I will tell you this, that I will gladly listen to your confession of sin. And I will pray with you for your forgiveness. And so will any one of the elders in our church. Because you know what? Sometimes that's exactly what you need. It really does help to confess your sins to another person and then to have them respond to you, have them really hear you, first off. And, and, you know, you just spill it and then have them speak back to you life-giving words of the gospel in return. Have you ever done that before? It really helps. And I think that in some cases, you know, it can lead to physical healing. Uh, maybe there's nothing better you can do than clear your conscience, re- receive God's peace and absolution, and in that spiritual healing, discover that you're better, um, you're better in your body. The last verse I'd like to look at is verse 15, 14. Where it says, this is the verse on anointing people with oil. And I found this of all the verses in the passage, the one that I, it was most interesting to me. Verse 14, is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. What, is this, what do you think is the significance of the anointing with oil for a sick person? I have two ideas. Uh, the first is... The oil may simply be kind of medicinal. In the parable of the Good Samaritan, you've got a guy who's lying beside the road, beaten up, left for dead, and the Samaritan walks, walks along and he finds him. Do you remember how the Samaritan treated the man's injuries? He poured oil and wine over them because they were medicinal. Wine, if I'm understanding the history right, wine is sort of an antiseptic to cleanse the wounds. And the oil is used for the softening of the wounds and the soothing of the body. So he, he provides medical treatment through the oil and wine. Is that what James has in mind? Uh, probably not, but <laughs> nevertheless, it's interesting. It also gives me the opportunity to say that medicine and prayer should never be an either or. It should never be Either I will take them to the doctors and receive good medical treatment, or I will take them to God in prayer. It should, it should never be an either or. It's always a both and. There's nowhere in the Bible that suggests that we should forego any kind of proper medical treatment in order to do some type of faith healing. It's not there, even though people teach it. Um, when I'm in a hospital and I'm praying for people, I always pray both and. I pray, God, miraculously heal Joe here. And God, wonderfully use the doctors and the nurses to bring about, to be your agent of healing. Because it's a both and. It's not an either or. <clears throat> but I think more than likely, the oil in this passage is used to symbolize setting the, sec- the sick person apart. Oil in the Bible is used in anointing primarily in two places. For the anointing of a king and the anointing of a priest. 
You anoint a king as a way to set him apart from all the rest of the people. As, as, as a person who has God's unique favor and attention. The same thing is true with the priest. You, set, you anoint a priest so that they would be set apart. And, and that's exactly what I think is going on here with the person who's sick. You anoint them in, in, as a way to symbolically set them apart for God's special, um, his special healing, attention, and care. Isn't that beautiful? You may be aware that this verse is pretty significant for Roman Catholic theology. We Protestants have two sacraments, baptism and the Lord's Supper. Roman Catholics, they have seven sacraments. And one of the, the last of those sacraments is the sacrament, it's called extreme unction, the sacrament of last rites. Extreme unction is when the priest takes oil and they anoint it all over the body of somebody who is in extremis, that is, at the point of death. So the sacrament of last rites is performed by a priest right when a person is on their deathbed. And I think, if I'm understanding it correctly, the idea is that if somebody's about to die and they haven't been able to confess their sins to a priest and they're going to go into death with unconfessed sin in their life, then somehow or another, the sacrament of oil ends up making it all okay. Very sophisticated way of putting it. Roman Catholic theology, not. But, um, I mean, as Protestants, we don't believe in the, the whole priestly confession thing. But I think there's something beautiful about this idea of anointing our loved ones on their deathbed. Because what are you just saying in that? Symbolically, you're saying that you are set apart. You are Christ's. And your suffering's not in vain. And you will, in a very few moments, be subject to the most magnificent care and attention of Christ. That we can hardly even imagine. See, I think we've thrown out the baby with the bathwater and doing away entirely with the anointing of our dying. I, I wish they would have told me this in seminary. Why didn't somebody tell me that we could and should be doing this? Because we should. Because the oil says, you belong to him. You are his. You are loved. To conclude, verse Let's go to the second half of verse 16. And I want to read it together, starting with the words, the prayer of a righteous person. We're going to read it from there all the way through the end of verse 17. Are you ready? The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. So obviously, James has in mind, it's not just the elders who are supposed to pray for healing, pray for people. It's something that we're we're all supposed to be doing. What a strange way to encourage our prayer lives, by comparing our prayers to Elijah. (laughs) Elijah, I mean, I, I am tempted to scoff at this reference, really am. Elijah was a man who prayed and dead people came back to life. Elijah was a man who prayed and climatology changed for three and a half years. When you and I pray, oftentimes doesn't it feel like our prayers hit the ceiling and just bounce back down to earth? Our prayers feel so powerless, weak, 
and ineffective? I say, James, Elijah, of all the people you want to compare us to positively and say, Elijah? But do you see what he's doing here? The prayers of a righteous man are powerful and effective. Who is he saying that to? He's saying that to a group of people who are more righteous than Elijah. You're more righteous than Elijah in Christ. You have, you are perfectly, if we could only see ourselves through God's eyes, we are flawless. (laughs) We are flawless in Christ. So what I try and do is remind myself, when I feel like my prayer life is just pitiful, which is quite frequently, is that the prayers of a righteous man availeth much, according to the King James Version. And you know what? We are. (laughs) And the Spirit of Christ is the Spirit that prays inside of us. And he will answer every single prayer. We pray for healing. Not a single one of those prayers that we pray for healing for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Not a single one will be answered in the negative. They will all be answered in the affirmative. Amen? Because they will all be answered at the resurrection. So do not give up hope. Do not, do not quit praying. Trust that Christ is praying through you. That you are righteous in Christ And every prayer of healing will be answered in the end when the dead in Christ shall rise in victory. Amen.